lust, power, envy, tragedy. The small folk, the great houses, the Targaryen dragon lords themselves all look to Viserys. The first of his name, king of the Andals and the Rhoynar, and the first men. They say he is a good king and has reigned over the most prosperous era that the Seven Kingdoms have ever beheld. It is a veritable golden age. So how could such a man as this plant the seeds of civil conflict that would tear asunder all that he ever held dear? Was there another path? Will any survive? Was it all really his fault? Will it all end in love and loss with dragons dancing in the sky as fire and blood rain down? We're going to find out. This is a watch party of ice and fire. We are your hosts, Solar. Hello. Constance. Good afternoon. Uzma. Greetings, lords and ladies. Morgan. Hello. And myself, Sam. Uh, in this podcast, we'll be talking everything and anything A War of Ice and Fire. In this episode, we'll be specifically be talking the new Game of Thrones prequel series, House of the Dragon. We'll be going over details you may have missed, lore related to the show, set pieces, costume designs, and of course, getting into each episode, or in this case, the trailer. Uh, this week, we are talking about the second trailer released. Be sure to listen and pay close attention as you can elevate your Macer's rank and win links and prizes by listening to the podcast and answering our trivia. Uh, before we get into the nitty gritty, we have our love and lore section. Uh, for, the lo- for the love and lore, where I will be going over anything involving history, culture, and customs, customs in the world of ice and fire. The council will then discuss the lore and how it affects the current episode, or in this case, the trailer. Uh, in today's lore, we will be talking about su- succession, if I can say it, uh, in the world of Ice and Fire. Uh, when George R. R. Martin was asked about succession in um, the world of Restoros, he said, well, the short answer is the laws of inheritance in the Seven Kingdoms are modeled on those in real medieval history, which is to say they were vague, uncodified, subject to varying interpretations and often contradictory, which I feel like he did a great job of interpreting in uh, Game (laughs) of Thrones. Uh, Laws of succession follow male preference. I just forgot how to say this word. Primogeniture. Primogeniture. That's it. Oh my gosh. I listened to the pronunciation of that like eight times before coming on here and I still forgot it. So there you go. This is meaning that the firstborn male inherits, inherits the noble seat. Um, succession does work differently in regards to lordship versus kingship. Um, lordship succession is the eldest to the youngest um, sons inherit, followed by the eldest to the youngest daughters. Um, if the eldest living child has a child of their own, and the child takes, then the child takes precedence in succession before siblings, even if the child is female. So that's a whole lot of words. So, for mm. example. In the Starks case, we had Rob, then Bran, then Rickon, then Sansa, then Arya. But if Rob had a child, it would be Rob, then Rob's child, then Bran, Rickon, Sansa, and Arya. Of course, it wouldn't matter if the child was male or female in that case. Um, the One of the differences, a couple of differences in uh, lordship succession in Westeros, we have Dorne, whose succession follows... Um, 
it's, it's completely equal. So it doesn't matter if you are a man or a woman, whoever is the oldest will inherit that lordship or ladyship. Uh, whatever child next in line may also take precedence also over any siblings. Again, doesn't, doesn't matter what um, gender you are. Um, they adopted these practices from the Roinar after Nymeria and her 10,000 ships arrived. Another difference is the Iron Islands. Um, way, way back, thousands of years, in, well, it's argued thousands of years in the past, uh, they had a king's move. Uh, great councils were held to determine the high king of the Iron Islands, um, and anyone with a ship from the Iron Islands may participate and attempt to convince fellow Iron Islanders to be king. Um, this ended up, this ended after, I think it was Gr Grey, the Grey Iron family slaughtered a bunch of people out of King's Mood and basically said, now we're inheriting the throne instead. So, in, pu in good Iron Island fashion, they <laughs> killed everybody and then said, we're doing this now. Murder makes right. Murder makes right. Some folks does say democracy is four wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. Mm -hmm. that, that could be the Iron Islanders' uh, house words, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> of course that means the mainlanders are the sheep but yeah <laughs> uh and then we have kingship so kingship works a little bit differently from our lordship succession um all male heirs take preference before any female inheritors um so for example in the baratheon sense and this is ignoring you know joffrey tommen and marcella's actual parentage but uh, it was Robert Baratheon, then Joffrey, then Common, then Stannis, then Renly. Marcella and Shireen would not have inherited the throne at all. Um, the male preference was not officially decided on until after the Dance of Dragons, which obviously we'll get to in the future. Um, but obviously throughout the history of the Targaryen dynasty, it's pretty apparent that they always wanted a male on the throne. Like they didn't really hide that all too much. Um, other ways um, or issues of inheritance are sometimes people name their heirs, which always causes some issues. Um, legitimized bastards, um, which definitely was a thing with Targaryens. And ladies of lords taking noble seats after a lord's death. These are all different ways of inheritance. Um, some of the questions of inheritance during the Targaryen dynasty, we have the Great Council of 101 AC, which we will not be getting into because of the show. Um, Aegon IV legitimizing all of his bastards. Um, that kicked Ooh. off the start of the Blackfire rebellions with Damon Blackfire leading the charge. Yeah, one favorite period. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that, Aegon. Yeah, Aegon IV, what a guy. You know, what a guy. <laughs> uh, and then we have the Great Council of 233 AC. Um, after a string of Targaryen deaths, Brendan Rivers called a Great Council. Um, and after Aemon Targaryen refused the crown and took his nice watch vows, Aegon V was crowned Aegon the Likely due to the fact that he was the fourth son of Makar and well down the line of succession, but still became king. In conclusion, succession is basically bullshit and people are going to fight over it anytime somebody's, you know, someone's going to be king if they want to be king. But um, All about interpretation. Exactly. But what do you all think of succession in the uh, world of ice and fire? I didn't know that both either of those HBO series did such a mashup because, you know, I mean, it, it, it's Ice and Fire and Succession. It, they never go well together. <laughs> they never go well, <laughs> whether you're watching each show or it happens in, um, in the plot. It's always bad news. 
Except for the readers, because, you know, we get cool things like the Blackfire Rebellions, the Dance of Dragons. But um, one thing I have to say is it's fair in its unfairness. Or it's consistent in its unfairness. Like, as long as there is a... As long as there's an argument to be had over who's going to be in charge, the arguments will be had. And that makes for a good story. I don't know. What do you think, Morgan? I think, like, so as uh, you mentioned, Sam, early on, it's based on reality, on history, right? So the Targaryen line is loosely based on the descendants of William the Conqueror, who... Aegon the Conqueror is obviously an allegory for. Um, so back in, in English history, and yes, like I, I, I look through the stories of Westeros and I'm like, yep, that happened in English history. Yep, that happened in English history. And yep, it happened at approximately this year in the time frame since William the Conqueror. So if you take the entirety of English history and revert to z- year zero being... Uh, 1066, all the years kind of line up, go figure. Um, But that being said, you start looking at all these different arguments about succession, and these are the exact same issues of successions that were appearing. And yes, just like uh, Solar was saying, not just for the reader's sake, but in real life, it was always like that. If there was an argument to be had, someone made the argument. If there was an illegitimate bastard who may or may not have actually been the child of anybody important, they would still be propped up and have a rebellion formed around them until they died horribly. Even if that person had actually died as a baby and they found some other kid to stand in their place. This, is a, uh, this also lends into a theory I have about the books, but I'll get away from that. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't even inclu- include that plot line in the movie. I mean, the show. What I was going to suggest is let's take a look at, you know, actual historical examples. Henry VIII. He had three children that lived. Didn't he get married to the widow next door or something like that? Uh, At some point he did. Yeah. Yeah. While I'm having a wife made out of jam at some point, I'm not quite sure. (laughs) You never know. He married just about anybody. If if they were able to, if in his (laughs) mind they could produce him that male heir, he would have married him. He would have married a jam woman had she been able to have a baby. Yeah. Um, But he had three children. Lord knows it wasn't on him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, it wasn't his fault. Uh, There was first Mary, then Elizabeth, and then um, Edward. Yeah, the poor the poor little guy. Uh, His youngest, (laughs) his son, although being much younger than his two eldest children, inherited the throne because he was a boy. Mm Mm-hmm. And then came his eldest daughter, Mary, and then his second daughter, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth had no children of her own, so then it went back to a male heir who was James. Uh, So even English succession followed these same kind of crazy rules that George had adopted, where you start with the boys, and then if you have to, you kind of go to the women if, if that's the only alternative available, and then you jump back to a male as soon as the male becomes available. Uh, so uh-huh. it's, and that's what I like about the Dornish is the fact that they're, they're the egalitarians. It's like male, female, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're the inheritor. You're the eldest. You get the throat. You get the, you know, you get the position. Uh, but most of Westeros was. Yeah. That's actually called. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to add in a little factoid. That's actually called agnatic cognatic primogeniture. Wow. Uh, where it doesn't matter whether you are male or female. Um, that you can inherit 
the I'm same. Say that three times fast. <laughs> yeah, and I can't even say one of the words. So, yeah. <laughs> and normal primogeniture that we're talking about is actually agnatic primogeniture. So the cognatic adds in the female line. This is because I'm a history nerd. Sorry, people. No, that's interesting. As Sam has said, uh, there is no official law regard regarding the succession. People just have it in their mind that if there is a male son, uh, they, he has to come before a female. Like in the books, when uh, Rob thinks that Pran and Rikon are dead, he legitimizes John and his claim, John's claim comes before the claim of Sansa and Arya because he doesn't want it to go to the Lannisters or the others. But uh, it's still, uh, in my opinion, is unfair. Here's another fun example of the laws of succession. Uh, Sam Tarly, right? We all know Sam from, mm. from the, the yeah. Game of Thrones series. He was the eldest son of Randall Tarly. Mm -hmm. And Randall hated him. His dad hated him. To the fact where he basically forced Sam to join the Night's Watch so he would renounce his inheritance and his younger brother Dickon. Well, Sam had a ch yeah. Well, Sam had a choice. choice. I mean, he he could have been stabbed and stabbed in the gut and left to be eaten by pigs in the wild. So, exactly, that was the choice. Know. Was you join wasn't the forced? There was an the option. Watch, you know, or you go into yeah. the forest and die in a hunting accident. <laughs> Those were his choices. So that's another way that even though the laws, uh, the the generally accepted law said that the eldest son will inherit. You could get rid of them by sending them to the faith, sending them to the maesters, or sending them to the wall, at which point they would basically lose all rights to their titles, kind of like Aegon or, or Amon, the uncrowned, mm -hmm. who went to the black, who took the black and went to the wall. That's another way that you could get rid of somebody in the laws of succession is just force them to renounce their name and their titles, you know, like when Jon Snow took, took up the black, wasn't, you know, going to claim any titles or anything. Officially. Yeah, Catelyn loved that. Yeah, Catelyn would, mm -hmm. was like, yeah, now there won't be any fight. Yeah, yeah she was very happy <laughs> yeah. about that, but we all know how that happened. Yeah. Of course, so. the interesting thing, and I'm glad that we keep pointing this out, is that the laws of succession are codified for lords. And yes. the fact that there was nothing on the books for the throne itself is where we get into all this wackiness. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The whole idea of the sovereign is the one that makes the laws and their laws are essentially made by whim, which is really the origin of the founding father's necessity for America. You know, we have laws on the board that cannot be changed by the whim of a singular person. So um, when it comes to the <clears throat> transfer of power from one person to the next, there is a set of instructions instead of a set of traditions that can be questioned. And um, I don't know, I see a lot of um, I see a lot of stuff in the Songs of Ice and Fire that kind of push toward that, not specifically democracy, but at least let's codify our laws of ultra succession so that we can stop all of these wars because they cost money, they cost population, and it's always hard to bounce back from. So, yeah, they were probably uh, my guess based on English history uh, was that the intention was to turn Westeros into uh, a nation like England with a parliament. Yeah, I can see that because the small council is very much an analogous to the House of Lords uh, or the Privy Council, which uh, the uh, kings the and queens right, of England had. 
The Star Chamber is actually a, a, a court that people would use to eliminate political rivals and what have you. It was the judicial system. Uh, the Privy Council was exactly the same as the small council. Privy meaning private. Uh, it was a private council of the monarch of England. They had a chancellor, which is basically the hand, and then they had minister. Uh, they had pe uh, people representing various uh, official positions like war, treasury, what have you. It was essentially exactly the same thing that the small council is, and it was, and it operated separate, and it operated separately from the uh, from parliament. Uh, but it's the closest thing to what we now have as a uh, in parliament as the cabinet. Hello everyone, my name is Jordan Rennells, and with my friend Katie, we are both working to create and share art for all of our favorite fandoms at 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. We have bookmarks, so many stickers, earrings, prints of all sizes, super small, and all the way up to 24 by 30 inches to really show off all of your favorite characters. We have coloring books, keychains, and always more on the way. So if you want a Hobbit Hole bookmark, or a set of Legend of Zelda Korok earrings, stickers for all of your favorite Marvel characters, or a big wall art poster of the Night's Watch Vows words so that you can recite them every time you need to pump yourself up, head over to 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. You can even use the code WATCHPARTY10 to get a 10% discount. That's 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. All right. Well, that is our For the Love and Lore segment. Uh, moving on, we have the Dragons in the Details, where Constance and Uzmo will be going over small details you may have missed in the last episode, the trailer, uh, <laughs> as well as the fantastic costumes, props, props and sets used. Uh, after you, Constance, Constance and Uzma. Hi, so we are only going to discuss some of the main details since the trailer is too mm -hmm. long and uh, we'll only uh, discuss the details uh, that you might have missed or some s clips that might have moved too fast. So I'm going to start sharing my screen. So the first thing we see is a meeting between Damon and his rival Sorato Hightower. Uh, we can see he is at Dragonstone and he has Missaria and behind him there are gold cloaks. Uh, I think it's around the time when he was the command commander of the gold cloaks, um, the Lord Commander of the City Watch. Uh, it's not a spoiler in my opinion because uh, we, ca we can see him uh, in the trailer. He is carrying a dragon egg with him and uh, he is meeting with Sarato who has brought with him uh, the two uh, King's Guard which are Sir Christian Cole and Sir Harold Westerling and Grand Master Maester. Mellows, and behind him there is a huge army. So it seems like there something has happened, and uh, because in another clip we can see uh, Damon drawing a sword. So there is some conflict between them, and uh, uh, it's possible the dragon egg might be the cause of it. 
What do you think about it, Constance? Well, dragon eggs are extremely rare and extremely valuable. You know, they're they're the source of the power of the Targaryen dynasty. So the fact that he's got one, uh, you know, as is his right as a Targaryen, um, where is he taking it? Why is he taking it? What what is his purpose? Uh, you know, these are all questions that I'm sure we'll find the answers out to. But it looks like he's ready to throw down. Like he's he's ready to fight for that <laughs> egg and whatever the meaning is behind it. Uh, and yeah, it's it, you can see in the background. I think that's Dragonstone behind them there. Isn't that right? In the background? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And another thing I wanted to add uh, was uh, you need to notice his hair. It's longer in this scene, but uh, there are other clips where he has shoulder length hair. So I think it shows a different time, mm-hmm. where, like uh, some when he has a shoulder length hair, it's from uh, years later. And when he has long hair, it's probably at the very beginning of the show. Yeah, we know they're going to jump time frames a lot between the younger version of the characters and the more adult version of the characters. So it's going to be kind of like watching The Witcher and trying to guess when exactly <laughs> things are taking place unless they go a more linear route, which we won't know until we actually get the episodes launched. Uh, exactly. that's, that's my two cents on these shots here. Uh, you can see Miss Aria there is wearing white, which is her, her, her go-to. Uh, and then you've got... You've got Otto in his armor, which he's a hands-on kind of king, uh, king, king's hand. You know, it wasn't like he was just dictating things from behind the scenes. You can see he's actually ready to throw down in this scene right here because he's got his armor on, his, his helm under his, his, his hand. Uh, and then we come to our next scene, uh, which we're going to look at is dragons. I know Solar had been asking in our last episode, where were our dragons? And now we finally get to see them. Finally. <laughs> uh, this is, it's hard to tell because of the shot. I mean, there's, it could be a white dragon. It could be a gold or bronze dragon. Uh, most people believe that the rider you could see there has white hair and is wearing kind of what looks like a gown. So that could be Rayanra with Cerax. A little hard to, it could be. It's possible. Uh, do you think that's who it is, Isma? Or, you know, who do you think that could be? My first impression was that it was Vegar because uh, it looked kind of bronze to me. <laughs> Maybe I have color blindness or something. I thought it was Vegar, uh, Re- but uh, someone on my channel pointed out that it was probably Cyrax. And uh, when you uh, look at different uh, angles, uh, maybe uh, sometimes it looks like a green dragon. So it could be Cyrax. Uh, now this next shot, uh, we do have we do have a little slight slight error here. Uh, technical error. Um, yeah. She pointed out what, what could be the great set of Baylor, but Baylor doesn't exist for another generation or two. So uh, we know that that yeah. can't be the great set. Uh, could be the dragon pit. That could be the dragon pit there directly behind the castle. Uh, we're not entirely sure what, what we're looking at here because it is a blurry distance shot, but I'm sure that we'll learn more about the geography of King's Landing. But based on the map, uh, the dragon pit was supposed to be on the uh-huh. right side of uh, the yeah. red keep so it could be a dragon pit and it looks like a it huge like a dome. dome yeah okay uh, yeah <laughs> so that could very well be the dragon pit in when we get to see more of the shots and now comes the big scene that sets up most of our plot uzma take <laughs> it away then we see a uh, king viserys standing before the iron throne and Rhaenyra turns to him. It seems like there is some kind of ceremony going on and a lot of people are attending this cer- ceremony uh, because we see uh, the lords vow th- take swear oaths to be faithful to Rhaenyra and his daughter, sorry, uh, swear oaths to be l- 
faithful to King Viserys and his daughter. And if you look at her necklace, you can see the seven-pointed star of the faith. Uh, we, the Targaryens uh, took, uh, started worship, worshipping the uh, seven after the Andals and they followed the faith. Uh, so you can see she is wearing a seven-pointed star and uh, there are also other sigils on her necklace uh, on the left uh, it's hard to tell the what the first two si uh, sigils are uh, but you can see house greyjoy's sigil and uh, on the right side uh, you can see house arryn and house stark or lannister's sigil and she has uh, the Tar house targaryen sigil which is the uh, largest which makes sense because uh, they are uh, the rulers and and the at the back of her uh, pendant uh, you can see how smart hill what are your th thoughts about it constance i think this is very ceremonial uh this is clearly uh showing that she is the heir to the throne and and uh just because she's got the symbols of all the great houses that are going to swear loyalty to her and then the faith which she shows that the targaryens have adopted the faith fully and are part of that and then of course her family crest uh but i want to take a moment just to geek out over that cost she's wearing a black embroidered yoke on a golden cloak the back featuring a sunburst design with something embroidered on it i'm going to guess that's going to be the three-headed dragon i can't tell from the shot that we have uh, it's extremely ornate. Yeah, that there's there's something on the back. It looks like it could be a dragon. Yeah, you can see dragons. You can see dragons. Yeah, that's that's my guess, yeah. which is based on the the shot mm -hmm. that we have. But um, it's it's appropriate that Dorne is at the back of the necklace <laughs> because Dorne really <laughs> isn't part of what's going down <laughs> at this point in time. There's still it's like the Seven Kingdoms, you know, like the, the Triarians can claim to be in control of it, but Doran's kind of like doing their own thing like they usually do. Yeah, they actually didn't win the war against them, but they still included it. They still included it, it exactly. It's, uh, but she's wearing a French hood with embroidery and beadwork, circular earrings with large teardrops, and then this red gown with an embroidered underbust and embroidered sleeve cuffs. And if you look at the promo posters that they've released, you could see excellent detail on this outfit. And it's absolutely exquisite. Just the level of detail and care that they put into it shows that she is the princess, the heir to the throne, which is going to be a point of contention in, in the coming story. Uh, but yeah, that, that costume, I'm in love with that costume. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's enough about it's her. It's really beautiful. Yeah, it is really beautiful. Uh, next, we're going to switch back to Damon. And you can see here, this is where he gets his golden, he's wearing his golden cloak as the commander of the city guard or the gold cloaks, because this is when that happens. He gives them the gold cloaks as a symbol of allegiance. And that's, they've been called the gold cloaks ever since. Uh, but here's a shot of him with his guards marching through the door. He's got his helm on. He's got his cloak thrown over his shoulder. And he's about to kick some heads and bash some doors. You can see it's the same helm as in that previous shot. Then we see Rhaenyra Targaryen at the Black Council meeting. Uh, and you can see the painted table. So it's at Dragonstone. And this table looks so beautiful. It's like there is lava flowing through it. And it's actually glowing. It, it's really beautiful. And th this shot reminds me of Daenerys when she was at Dragonstone. Mm -hmm. She used to stand in kind of a similar pose when she was thinking about strategies and everything. Uh, 
and on the left you can see there is a golden bowl and on the right there is a box uh, on the table and there is a sword uh, resting next to it at first i thought it was a black uh, fire sword but uh, then I realized it was actually Dark Sister uh, because you can see the dragon wings on the hilt and there's a, a dragon egg on the pommel of the sword which we actually get to see in the fighting scene where Damon was fighting in the tourney. So it's Dark Sister. Who do you think, Constance? Uh, yeah, I'd have to agree that that's Dark Sister. Uh, I'm going to assume that the box is where they're going to keep the pieces you know, the various uh, markers that we've seen in the past when uh, yeah. you're putting out on the st on the map where different houses and different forces are located. I think that's what that's going to be for because yeah. you can see a couple pieces on the table already. Um, yeah, just like we uh, saw in, the, in Game of Thrones. Just like we saw in Game of Thrones, yeah. So I think that's what this is. This is going to be a war planning meeting and we're going to see. But I do like the detail. It does look like lava, just the way it's all inlaid with gold. It's absolutely beautiful table. <laughs> You gotta wonder, is it the same table that they used in Game of Thrones, or did they recreate the prop for this? That's a good question. It's hard. I don't know exactly about it. I haven't heard anything, but it could be the, the same prop. Yeah. Recycle something that big would be easier than crafting it again, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> next shot in the trailer that's worth mentioning is going to be Heron Hall. This is the biggest keep in all of Westeros, so large that it really can't be maintained. Um... This is a shot from the Great Council of 101. George R. R. Martin has confirmed that this storyline will will be part of the movie. Um, and this is essentially where they confirm which line will become the next king. I don't want to go into too much detail because this is obviously something we're going to explore in the episode. Uh, but you can see here there's, there's the hundreds, of, hundreds of people in this shot uh, easily, if, if not thousands. Uh, that had gathered at Harrenhal for this for this meeting. You can see there's various house banners being held by the different houses. You can see that there's the Targaryen banners against that high dais. And then there's the box, the box that contains the fate that will ever shape the destiny of Westeros. Uh, they're carrying Do you think these are the vo votes? I, you know, I, I had two thoughts. First of all, it looks like the vote. It could be the votes. And then my second <laughs> thought was that it's possibly... Um, it could possibly be dragon eggs. I don't know. It kind of reminded me of the box that Daenerys's eggs were kept in, but yeah. that's just a personal thought. I, it's probably the votes. And it looks so huge. Yeah, it looks beautiful. Yeah, it's it's a huge, huge place. So that's going to be interesting to see what how they establish the the coming conflict through the history in the scene. So pay attention when it pops up. It's going to be a big one. <laughs> Yeah. Then we see Alicent attacking Rhaenyra. Uh, it's, she looks so enraged in this scene. <laughs> uh, and behind her you can see Tylen Lannister and what looks like Corlys Velaryon mm -hmm. or it could be any other Velaryon and uh, Sir Harold Westerling. And Sir Harold Westerling is starting to run towards her probably to stop Alicent. She looks so mad, uh, like some, we discussed in our previous episode that something must, huge must have happened to make her lose her composure and uh, she is attacking, behaving like this in front of everyone. So it has to be something huge. And uh, to the left of Rhaenyra, uh, you can see a kid uh, which has dark 
who has dark skin and silver hair so it has to be a vilarian kid so what they are trying to establish is each will just like the targaryens uh, the, each vilarian also has different features like uh, the like the targaryens have pale skin and silver hair the vilarians have dark skin and silver hair what do you think constance well the silver hair is the important part that's the showing of the blood yeah. of old valaria uh, that's 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 why the Targaryens have it. That's why the Valarians have it. Uh, that's a key factor in establishing their lineage. And I think this is more of a continuation of the other shots that we've seen. This is a pretty big scene because we've seen it throughout different aspects of yeah. the trailers. We've seen it in the first trailer. We see it again in this one. It was in some of the, the, the costume she's wearing. It's in some of the promo shots. Uh, so we know that whatever it is that goes down is a huge, huge thing. Um, but next shot they they scan to is a little more sad. We have got a funeral here. Uh, they're casting a coffin into the ocean. Uh, there's a lot. If you look at the wide shot, you can see that it's going to be uh, someone from either the Valarians or the Targaryens because there's the white hair prominent again. Uh, if you look at the crowd that's surrounding the coffin. And then the coffin itself, uh, it's hard to see because it's such a quick shot, but it appears to be a woman wearing a necklace with a crown braid and her hair curls cascading down around her. And there's something down there by her feet. Um, it's either the seahorse of Valarian or it's a small little curled up dragon. It's really hard to tell because it's such a quick shot. Uh, what do you think that is, Isma? Did you get a good look at it? Uh, it's really, like you said, it's really hard to tell, but it does look like a dragon or a seahorse so it could be either of those things yeah and since we know it's either one of the two families it could go either way <laughs> so we'll, exactly it's one of those we'll have to wait and find out more about it once we get to that actual footage uh but yeah you could see Rayandra's there allison's there Kristen cole is there uh everyone's looking very serious and very sad as befits a funeral uh, but we'll have to wait and to see to find out who's exactly it is but that's something that we'll definitely come back to. And what do we have here? It looks like another party. Yeah, it's it looks like another scene from the uh, feast we discussed in our uh, mm -hmm. previous episode. And uh, it looks like people are dancing. Mm. And then we get to see... In the la previous episode, we discussed how in the first trailer, we see Lol, uh, Lord Lionel Strong, King Viserys and Rhaenyra sitting at the high table. And in this clip, uh, once you zoom in, you can see uh, people's, uh, more people sitting on the high table. To the very left, uh, we can see Daemon Targaryen, then we have Lord Lionel Strong. And as we discussed uh, in the last episode, uh, that we this uh, there was an empty chair which was probably for Queen Alison, and now we see Queen Sal Alison sitting on this chair, and then we have King Viserys, uh, and next to him there are two empty chairs, uh, and as you discussed uh, that it was a, a wedding, so it might have been for the bride and groom and then it's hard to tell who is sit sitting it but to the extreme right there is Corlys Velaryon so it's I think a safe I think it's safe to say that the person sitting next to Corlys might be Rhaenys Targaryen what do you think Constance? Yeah that's likely um, because you can definitely make out based on the previous shot and who we know is in this shot that's a sensible guess uh, and I think you can kind of, it's hard to tell because it's such a big group shot scene, but you can definitely make out some of the individual features. 
of the uh, the crowds and the white hair always helps because that really stands out. <laughs> so thank goodness for that design choice because that makes life a lot easier when trying to find characters in a crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, next we have Kristen Cole beating the crap out of somebody. Uh, immediately <laughs> preceding the shot is the Kingsguard throwing a white, a white-haired man in a basic white shirt to the ground and then we get this. Uh, he's furious and he's beating the living daylights out of somebody. Uh, is it the same person that, that was in that establishing shot? But it looks like if you look in the background, there's people that are extremely shocked. I mean, if you look, there's this face, this, oh, of, oh my God, what the hell is going on? And Kristen Cole's face is just complete anger and fury. So something goes down and which sets off a King's guard in a really bad way, but we have no idea what exactly it is that, that deserves this kind of reaction. So again, something for us to look out for when we actually get to the series. <laughs> and is it just me or does, uh, it looks like the people behind her, uh, uh, behind him are dressed up like for a feast or something. <laughs> yeah. She's got some kind of headpiece on, uh, one of the, one of the two yeah. figures in the crowd. There's some jewelry, some jewelry, some kind of, like a yeah. headpiece. Yeah. yeah. So it could be a, a something that goes wrong at a very important uh, occasion. But I guess it's one of those, we'll wait and find out, right? Exactly. But we don't know what's going to happen We don't know what's going to happen next. And that's part of the fun of this trailer. <laughs> it gives us a lot more juicy bits to, to go off of. But uh, that's all I've got. Do you have anything else you need to add, Uzma? Uh, no, I think that's all. Back to you, Sam. Awesome. Well, now we have the, uh, next we have the Raven's Eye segment where Solar will be talking about the cinematography cinematography and directorial choices made and how they affect the trailer. To you, Solar. Hey, everybody. How's it going? So, welcome to the, uh, to the Raven's Eye segment where we're going to talk about cinematography motifs and directorial decisions to speak to people's lizard brains with images. So... This trailer is a lot more of a trailer than the original ones. Um, In our last show, we commented on the quick trailer. That is the, hey guys, there's a new show coming out. Let's take a look at it. But this one gives a little bit more information. Now, the overall theme of this trailer comes down to two motifs. And that is flight and fire. Okay. Um, now, last week I made a joke where I was like, you know, we got all this stuff, but where my dragons at? Where my dragons at? And uh, this trailer evidently heard last week's podcast because they were like, "All right, um, we 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 got you, bro. We got you." So let's take a quick look here. All right. When we open, we have again a sense of tightness followed by a perspective of flight. So. While we're going, we've got sight after sight or shot after shot of we're flying over everything. This entire, entire trailer, if we take a look back, it switches between um, close-in shot, drone shot, close-in shot, drone shot, as if to give us this impression that not only are there dragons, but we kind of are in their perspective, not um, insertions, but over everything. You know, even in the shot here, where we come back, we go from flying above um, King's Landing to, hey, look, an overhead shot or an over-ish head shot. And um, when we're pulled into the scenes that are happening, 
we really get a sense of, okay, we're a person in the room now, but really everything that's pushed here is overhead. Okay, so with these overhead shots that have nothing to do with conversations we should hear, <clears throat> we are in the dragon's point of view. We have a lot of flying um, put in. Just to remind the audience, I think, directorial decision, to remind the audience of, oh yeah, by the way, there are dragons here, there's going to be a lot of flights. And it gets a sense of priming the audience to prepare for some of the dragon flying action scenes. Would you say this could be one of the um, one of the purposes for so many drone shots, Constance? Yeah, I, I think that the fact that um, it's kind of like an omniscience, right? Where we're we're overseeing everything. We're not at the perspective of the person on the ground, but we're pulled back so that we can see everything. From, you know, like you said, from a dragon's perspective, high above the action, kind of seeing all that goes on. Um, so that's, that's a great way to look at it. I hadn't thought of it from, from that kind of a, a, a mindset that, you know, we've got the dragon's eye, sort of the raven's eye. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm just the male guy. But um, now when we go on to the next scene. This is really important. I love that you guys pointed out the grandeur of the, um, of the painted table. Um, the thing that we didn't see in the last show was Daenerys is a Targaryen, but mostly by blood, less by culture. And when we see the Targaryen sitting over the painted table, everything is majesty and fire. Everything here. Majesty and fire. It is, we are above you, therefore we fly. And fire. Fire is how we got this country. Fire is how we keep this country. So there are a lot of scenes that remind the subconscious that fire is their thing. Now, their house words are fire and blood, but this is still technically a commercial. So it's not like we're watching the boys or anything like that. So they can have fire or blood. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah. And we have that table. We have the fire. Even in the shot of Hall, we still have that grandness of scope and overhead shot that says, all right, now we're a dragon perched. But there is still the overhead points of view and, of course, fire. <laughs> You know, just to keep reminding people, I mean, every single shot um, just reminds you subconsciously that there is fire going on, unless it's outside. But even then, outside shots have fire. We have our brazier, we have our fireplace, um, and of course, we have our fire in the background. It's almost like um, there may be a <laughs> drinking game here oh, no. happening where... Take a shot every time a Targaryen's on fire. the screen and there is a burning flame. I mean, even, um, even in the funeral scene that follows, we even have a torch outside at the beach. And I'm a Southern California native. It is very hard to keep a torch going at the beach, rocky or sandy. And um, so, yeah, every time, again, we have yet another Targaryen um, in the shot. And again, there's just more fire. Always fire, or should I say, halfway fire, halfway overhead shots. Um, even in the violent scenes, we have a sense of the director is showing us that, A, this show is from the Targaryen's point of view. Two, they are above you, and they are more alive. They have more presence than you have, which is what fire cinematically um, communicates, which is presence, power, 
and um, a sense of primal force, you know. So, yeah, I think in this trailer, they really got a chance. Even, again, here we are in the Iron Throne. We got the little bitty person there. And we are all the way back looking down on our character. Though we're a dragon perched or a dragon in flight. You know. Um, and, yeah, of course, we got the Dagrons that are happening over there. So, looking at these things and noticing these motifs um, between fire, power, and a perspective of above everything else, the director could possibly be priming the audience to show, hey, this is bigger than you guys are used to. Um, we had eight seasons of a battle for power, but we never really got to see what, I guess you can say, a family or a house who's comfortable with their power and who is used to having it um, can communicate. So, what we have in these trailers are a bunch of scenes of very powerful people who are very well, very well comfortable in their power, exploiting their power, or should I say showcasing their power, in every way possible to the audience. Not just the Iron Throne, but the dragons, the aboveness of the landscape. Like when we're looking, if we, um, if we go back, to the dragon's flight. Um, I actually wanted to ask a question, but I didn't want to interrupt your segment. Um, um, yeah, when the dragon is flying here, we have, um, again, it's not just a dragon in flight and us as one of the dragons in flight following this one, but the dragon is equal to and in some ways above red, the Red Keep, which is the seat of power. But it's far above the rest of Westeros and even the hill line. You know, this very much communicates to the audience that these people are bigger and higher up than us. Um, that question of, it does very much look like the Sept of Baelor. I was wondering, Constance, could it have possibly been, um, could it have possibly been Summerhall? Um, the way that it's down there, I don't quite remember when Summerhall was built. Um, you know, any, any well, thoughts see. on that? We know that Baylor set was started sometime. Oh, well, after, during the reign of Baylor, the King Baylor, the blessed, which was quite some time in the future based off of this one. Um, but let's see, you said summer hall. I'm not familiar with that one so much. Yeah, it could have possibly uh, it's a be ruined summer castle hall in the stormlands. Uh, so it's, it's very mm, it's, so it's Witcher. not going to be Stormwall. No, it's not Summerhall. Yeah, that's a yeah. Little, seems a uh, yeah. I mean, the Stormlands are right next to um are yeah. right next to King's Landing and the Crownlands, but that's still too close. But yeah, so as we're flying, we can definitely see that the Targaryens place themselves above everyone else um, visually. Um, we can definitely see that with. The height of the Red Keep, um, the fact that it's on a hill, and the fact that they fly in with dragons. So, even um, visually, they definitely show their aboveness. You know, um, even the Red Throne or even the Iron Throne is very much on a dais, which is elevated above everybody else. There, it's not like, you know, they're walking in and it's a big throne. Um, 
that's sitting mm-hmm. at ground level, it too has a stage yeah. and aboveness, you know. So yeah, the overall um the overall motifs and themes of this trailer is um could arguably be said to be priming the audiences since let's be real. HBO and every other company that puts something out there knows that people like us exist. So these trailers are going to be seen far (laughs) more than 10 times. And they're putting these things out there to be like, don't forget, they're above everyone else. Don't forget, they're powerful. Oh, yeah, fire. Dragons breathe fire. Um, Targaryens are immune to fire. Hey, they, they hatch dragon's eggs in fire. So fire, aboveness, aboveness, Fire. Are you getting what you're going to be watching on August um, in the second week of August? You know, so I think that this was very well put together. I think it was very well put together and very communicative um, when it comes to what the director wants us to see. And it's communicating very clearly who the major players in this show are going to be. Um, Mostly by giving us close-ups you know we get close-ups of um the targaryen women discussing things we get close-ups of you know hey i'm the troublemaker how you doing look at me i'm damon you're gonna be looking at me a lot um and um in truth and of course um the close-ups of rainy's targaryen you know um anyone that takes um close precedent in the shots are the ones that we should be paying attention to, you know? So, yeah, I think this show did, I think this trailer does a very good job of showing us cinematically how things are supposed to feel and who we're supposed to take a, um, um, take an interest in. I don't know. Uh, would you say I'm missing something? I think I'm missing something. I don't know. I, oh, I, I haven't even noticed the fire. Just, it was subconsciously, it wasn't mm. even registering on a conscious level. I mean, obviously, they don't have natural light in a lot of these shots. They're they're in a castle. It's dark. They're going to have to use something to illuminate. But the prominence of the fire. Now that you've pointed it out, I'm gonna I'm not gonna unsee that. <laughs> I'm gonna be looking for that in every <laughs> shot. Like, where's the fire? Where's the blood? <laughs> obviously, we'll get into the blood later. I know there's a shot of it in the trailer, but there's much more to come. Oh yeah, and of course. And this is a Game of Thrones show, so the blood is compulsory. <laughs> I'll apparently be getting very drunk by playing your drinking game. <laughs> Note to those at home, we do not recommend this. We are not advocating the <laughs> drinking game. Yeah, I'll have to... I'll probably be yes, like watch watching that episode twice before doing an episode <laughs> just in case. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, very, it's very prominent. Um, if we notice, especially in the cinematic language of the former HBO show, we know through the lore that every family has an element associated with them. We've got the Starks have stone, you know, cold stone. And the Lannisters have also, they've got shiny stones. That's why they live in Casterly Rock, you know. And of course, you've got like the, the guys in the Vale and the families in the Reach and stuff like that. But the Targaryens were in the vein of the older families where their stuff is primal. You know, they have a primal force where the Starks had the cold. And um, um, let's see, you've got 
I forget the seven kings, but you've got the gardeners who had the land and growth. You had the Starks that had the cold stone. Um, you've um, got the veil, you know, which was the mist, actually, the mist. And of course, the Stormlands had all of the storms, you know. Um, and the Targaryens were like, yeah, well, we've got fire, you know, um, especially given this earth, earth versus fire versus sea, you know, and then Targaryens came in with the air, um, being able to fly with the dragons and fire. So what I can see in the cinematography is they're very much focusing on that sort of in the way of, um, in the late nineties, every time you saw something that was filmed in what was supposed to be Mexico, it always had a sepia tone over it. Like Mexico was browner than everywhere else. <laughs> or, um, so with the Targaryens, we're going to get, I, I think we're going to get a lot of aerials. We're going to have a lot of brazers and torches and, you know, um, there was one shot here that I thought was really interesting with the fire, um, and that was the party, okay? Um, when you've got Renera dancing, and in this shot here, um, you have a room covered in candles with a chandelier <laughs> that has three brazers in it, Um it's very much like, of course, this is supposedly like the greatest king that led in the most prosperous period, but you very much have the, okay, we get the point. You guys like to burn things. You know, the dragons were kind of a giveaway. So, but yeah, so this very much has a, um, has a very big reminder of whose house is this? This is the Targaryen's house. So it was either a chandelier full of fire or a dragon hanging upside down from, from, um, from like a rafter or a loft or something like that. So honestly, I think this did very good in illustrating the scope of the show and the scope of power that we're looking at there. Just like Constance said, I can't uh, stop looking for a fire now. Every time I look at that trailer, I look for <laughs> fire. Their, words, uh, their house words are fire and blood. So we are seeing a lot of fire now. And we'll, maybe we'll get to see the blood later. <laughs> oh, I'm, I have no doubts that there will be blood. Or sorry, sorry, wrong franchise. I have no doubts that people are going to bleed <laughs> in this thing. There's... This, this is, of course, this is a Game yeah. of Thrones TV show. So, you know, some folks going to be getting stabbed. Um, but yeah, so honestly, like I said, this is a very interesting trailer to watch in motion, um, especially from the perspective of a dragon or a Targaryen loyalist. So yeah, um, you guys should definitely check it out and watch it a couple of times. But that's what I got to say about this one. So back to you, Sam. Awesome. Thank you, Solar. And now we have our fire and blood segment. Uh, this is where the council digs into some of the biggest moments of the episode, or in this case, the trailer. Um, Morgan has some questions for me to ask you all. Uh, the first question is, uh, the quote, one of the quotes during the uh, trailer, men would sooner put the realm to the torch than see a woman ascend the Iron Throne. Do you agree or disagree? Uh, Constance will ask you first. Uh, yeah, uh, going back to our whole discussion on succession, where uh, a male heir, no matter where he falls, it pretty much trumps a female heir, no matter what. 
And, uh, you know, men have that kind of love for power. I'm not, you know, not all men, obviously, but uh, especially with feudal lords in a medieval setting, your son is your most important asset. He defines your legacy. Uh, hashtag not all, but too many. <laughs> yep. Good way to put it. Um, but yeah, so it they'll they'll do anything to protect their their line through their sons, and it a daughter is like a political asset to be given away, traded, and she becomes her f- husband's line. She's no longer part of yours; she's part of his. So you want as as a feudal lord to keep that power in your personal line. So I could see why why they would they would rather burn it all down than see a woman inherit, especially since, you know, in their religion, you have the maiden, the mother, and the crone, the father, the smith, and the warrior, and then the stranger, who we don't, we don't talk about the stranger. Uh, no, no, <laughs> but obviously, no, no, no. no. <laughs> um, but it, even in their religion, the men take precedence over the women. The father is the head of everything. Uh, the mother is his support and, and his kindness and mercy and all those female feminine virtues. So everything points towards a man should be in charge and a man is the only one who should be in charge, both through political tradition and religious tradition. So it kind of makes sense that they wouldn't have the, the capacity to see a woman logically in charge. And we know what happened when Cersei took power. <laughs> <laughs> so the I guess maybe they, they, they figured that that could be the kind of reaction that happens if a woman has control over everything and doesn't have a man to guide her. So yeah, I, I, I think that's that's the point is that they wouldn't they would they don't have any capacity to allow a woman to rule based on tradition and, and religious tradition. But uh Uzma, what do you think about a woman and the throne? I completely agree with it. I don't think anyone can deny this because we literally get to see how people are opposed to the idea of a woman ascending to the Iron Throne. We'll actually get to see it in House of the Dragon. And um, as uh, the biggest example is that breaking one's vows is considered one of the biggest sins in Westeros, right? Mm -hmm. But when it comes to a woman uh, ascending to the Iron Throne... uh, a lot of the lords won't have any problem uh, to breaking their vows just to prevent a woman ascending from the Iron Throne. Even Ned Stark, who was uh, too forward in his thinking compared to his uh, to the other <laughs> lords, even he told to uh, even he said to Arya, uh, "You you are going to uh, marry a lord someday and become his lady." And uh, that's when she says, "I'm not a lady." So you can see uh, how how most of the people think in this world what about you solar um honestly i guess i'm the strange voice of dissent because my first question is define men because um we're having this conversation but i know in context of the story they're talking about the noble lords and the (laughs) noble ladies but the small folk don't care (laughs) they just want to make sure that they stay relatively disease-free and they can eat male, female. And again, we saw this um, in the story where Cersei took the throne. They didn't care. They don't really care about the Game of Thrones and who's in power, except for when it affects them. Um, The Street of Steel, 
still made stuff. The Street of Crafts still made stuff. You know, there were still, um, you know, Flea Bottom <laughs> was still Flea Bottom. It didn't matter if it was Cersei. It didn't matter if it was Aegon the Unlikely, Baylor the Blessed. Um, I believe it was Ares the Unworthy. Um, Flea Bottom still Flea Bottom. I actually have to point out that Baylor <laughs> and, did kick um, all the whores out of Flea Bottom. So that was a major disruption. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah, yeah, all right. So, but we're talking <laughs> one noble, all right? One noble. Um, and I don't think that had anything to do with their, their sex. I think that's who Rhaenys is referring to the noble lords and ladies. Uh, even uh, King Jaehaerys was in support of uh, Balon, and uh, his wife, uh, Queen Alicent, was in support of Rhaenys. So, Mm-hmm. I, when she said men, I think she referred to the noble lords uh, of Westeros. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sure that she's talking about the noble men of Westeros. Um, because we there's really no disagreeing or disagreeing because it is factual. Mm-hmm. It, it, you can see this within the traditions of all that stuff that the noble lords as they stand anywhere north of Dorne um, they all care very much and they would exactly do that um, again shout outs to Dorne um, come down there where the sun shines the food is spicy and people have some sense um, which is why if I existed in the world of ice and fire I would be over the narrow sea I'd be like hey what's going on I'm Bravosi and I don't carry a sword after dark um, but yeah, so when it, when it comes down to that, yeah, I would have to agree if they're talking about the nobles, but most of the citizenry or most of the, most of the men in King's Landing, um, even if they're from small or most of the men in Westeros, even if they're from the smaller houses, they're more concerned with making sure nobody takes their land and whether or not they can grow crops or collect taxes. So I don't really think they care. <laughs> I, I, I really don't. Um, I think uh, the smaller lords would care just as much about um, a man or a woman being on the throne as most people care about who the congressman is three counties away, you know? Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's my personal opinion, you know? But I know for a fact the small folk don't care. <laughs> they, they just don't. Yeah. It's like they didn't care when the Targaryens were dethroned. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't, <laughs> they, they didn't they care really when didn't. Robert and the Baratheons took over. They're like, as long as we get food protection and, you know, we don't freeze to death come winter, we're, we're fine. We don't care. Sure. What's the and saying? When they that, didn't get the, their food, yeah, exactly. they rioted. <laughs> so. well, yeah. What's the saying? Um, um, the people only care about a long su- summer and a great harvest or something like that. Mm-hmm. that, that it was basically yeah. like, yeah, yeah, they couldn't care less. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's a giant game and most of the folks there ain't playing. <laughs> Very sure. What about so. you, Sam? Yeah. Oh, I, I absolutely, I, I think I, I 100% agree. I mean, even when you're looking at like the current story, you know, with, um, with Daenerys, I mean, the original plan for a Targaryen resurgence was originally Viserys. So, you know, I mean, then that's even a situation where they didn't really have much going on. And they're like, yeah, we're still going to back the guy in this situation. So I, I don't think like Solar kind of said it, it, it's factual, like it's it's never not been that way, even when, you know, the laws weren't saying that um, it had to be a man like they were still pushing men consistently over and over and over. So it, it's definitely, you know, I definitely see what you're saying, Solar, where like, yeah, the people couldn't give a shit but like the noble people are obviously like 
yeah, we're we're gonna pick the men every time. So hard to not agree. Uh, I. I actually want to add uh, that I posted a poll on my channel uh, about who should inherit the Iron th Throne, uh, and I th I don't think many people knew about uh, it, but most people voted for Daemon Targaryen, and I was so shocked. Like, uh, no, Rhaenyra only got like fifteen to twenty percent vote, and uh, Aegon also got like. Uh, a lot more votes than Rhaenyra, and most people voted for Daemon Targaryen. <laughs> Interesting. Look, Daemon Targaryen is is a cool <laughs> character, but I don't know no. if you'd make a very good king. I don't know. No. <laughs> I make it very clear. I am dyed in the wool red on this one. Um, yeah, I, I didn't see the poll, but my vote is Rhaenyra's Targaryen, mm -hmm. yeah. primarily because she got training from the good king. <laughs> <laughs> the one who was running the country the best was like, um, carry my wine, sit in at all the meetings, and let me teach you mm -hmm. how to rule properly. Mm -hmm. um, where Damon was like, man, I should be the king. Me, me, me. I'll tell when I'm king, you'll be first against the wall, I'm little cousin. I'm gonna go off and start my own kingdom. And I'm like, yeah, no. Hookers, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forget the blackjack. Me, <laughs> you know exactly. So I'm like, hmm, do I vote for the qualified yeah. person or do I want the person who's having a hissy fit? Like, um, I think it's safe to say that 200 years later is all of our favorite periods of history in this world. But I couldn't even get down with the Blackfire Rebellion. I really couldn't. Um, I'm a big thing. Uh, I'm a big proponent of whatever the person in charge says that says what they want done with their power is what should happen so you know the king said this is my heir let's not talk about this no more the decision has been made and then he went and died and they were like well you know i think it's like no there is no thinking he wrote it down this is it there's no question you know get back in your tardis and stop whining that's what i say you know that that's just where i'm at so yeah, this is a word of ice and fire, though. They love ripping up people's words. <laughs> They're like, yeah, that guy's dead now. Let's not worry about it. <laughs> That's true. That is so true. <laughs> Moving on to our next question. We see Damon with an egg. Um, how important is one egg in the grand scheme of all the Targaryen dragons? Uzma, we'll start with you with this one. Uh, as we discussed the dragon egg in our dragons in the detail segment, and as I said earlier, uh, it looks like uh, it's at the root of some kind of conflict between Daemon and Sir Otto. We can see they are meeting at Dragonstone, and uh, Sir Otto has brought his army with him, along with uh, his two, uh, the two king's guards. Although, I don't know what Mr. Mellows is doing here. I mean, like, what he can do <laughs> in yeah. this situation. <laughs> 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 what do you guys think? Oh, he can be there, you know. He's a good person. Yeah, he's like Howlin' Reed, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's like Howlin' Reed at the tourney. Like, hey, I'm here too. <laughs> hi, hi. I can say I was in the room where it happened, you know. <laughs> I need to note down, uh, like, what, hap what went down uh, in this conflict. What happened here. Yeah. Maybe that's why Mr. Melo Mellows is there. What do you think, Sam? Not sure. I mean, I mean, the eggs themselves. I think that that's one of probably many dragon eggs we're probably going to see 
in the show, which I think is kind of cool considering that we've only ever seen three in the other show. So I, I think it'll be like, I, I don't know necessarily how how big one egg is. I guess like, we, you know, we don't want to get into spoilers of like what happens, but I, I think I don't think that one egg matters so much, but obviously anytime a dragon is involved, like, you know, people start getting, like start sweating, getting a little nervous. Some people get excited. So I, I, I as far as does it matter in the grand scheme of things? Eh. But at the same time, like you have a dragon in your arsenal, even if there are six dragons, one more dragon's like still a big deal. So I guess I'm a, a bit back and forth about it. Um, Solar, what do you think? Honestly, at this period in Westerosi history, if you are a Targaryen, a dragon egg is a lot like a modern day college degree. It doesn't do much to have one, but it means the world if you don't. And, um, a Targaryen not having a dragon egg or turning over a dragon egg or losing a dragon egg is pretty much the same as being politically um, hobbled. You know, you may as well cut off a foot if you lose your dragon egg. Because, um, again, dragons are how Targaryens keep their power. Dragon eggs are also stupidly valuable. Stupidly valuable. So it literally is like, I'm a Targaryen and I'm giving away a manor house and my political influence and my influence over the population. So it is super important. You know, even if they never hatch, it's still super important to have them. I mean, in the sequel to all this, um, Daenerys was able to mobilize entire armies just because she had three of them. Like, they, they weren't even hatched. Nobody knew if they could hatch. Dragons were gone. But them eggs, that proof of history, is powerful enough on its own. So, yeah, it's super important. Super important to have. Um, or more to the point, really crippling if you don't have it, you know. So, if that scene was Damon giving away an egg or having to fight for an egg, um, the the context is is really telling on that one so what about you constance well um according to the lore the dragons were in a hatchery underneath a volcano and we know that most of old valaria was built around volcanoes so that's a real <laughs> only seven yeah, only seven it's like it's like the hills of rome right oh wait i hadn't even put that <laughs> analogy together yet that's interesting anyways um uh, the, the eggs needed heat to hatch and removing one from a location is risky because that may endanger the entire incubation process. We later see another shot of the egg, maybe the same egg, maybe a different egg, but an egg nonetheless in an incubator over a brazier of coals. So keeping it warm, keeping it heated is a way to keep the dragon alive. So he's taking a great risk by removing this dragon egg from its cradle, uh, from its hatchery. So whatever it is, it's very, very important to him. Enough to where even Otto Hightower is mobilizing an army. And yeah, I don't know why the Maester's there, maybe just to provide historical context. You know, it's like, uh, but he's got Kingsguard with him. He's fully armed. He's ready for a fight. Damon draws his sword. Uh, this is probably going to be a pivotal moment in his dynamics with his brother, the king, because he's risking everything to remove this egg. So it, it's going to be important, whatever that is. Well, we know that we're going to have to see that, how that plays out in the, in the actual show when that comes to pass. 
But that's that's my thoughts on that. He's he's taking a big risk, but whatever it is, it's very important to him if he's taking that bigger risk. So we get a quote in the uh, trailer at the very end. History does not remember blood. It remembers names. What do you think this means? And do you agree? Solar? Well, <clears throat> that quote pretty much sums up while the Maester's <laughs> there. Um, it's absolutely true. Nobody cares who you're related to. All we care about is what is documented. And um, when it comes to um, one of my favorite writers, um, Alan Moore, talks about how the bard is the more powerful of the mythological archetypes than even the wizard because the bard is the one that tells the stories and the stories are what history is made from so the bard has influence of what anyone knows about time so um i think the phrase is very straightforward when it says no one cares about blood like we don't care who your third cousin twice removed on your mother's side is we care about what your name is because according to this book this name is what's important so yeah i i I agree with it i see it again work down historical context over and over and over again i don't know What, what do you think constance well i have to agree uh because if you look at the idea of blood versus name if there's a bastard, they have illegitimate blood. They, they still have their father's blood in them, but they have their mother's name. The stone, rivers, snow, any of that. But as soon as they're legitimized and they take their father's name, that's what matters. So it doesn't matter who your blood is, but if you take on a name, like the Blackfire Rebellion, that was all about names. Whose name was the, the most powerful? Whose name held the most weight? It didn't matter who their mother was. It didn't matter who, you know, their father was. Well, obviously, it matters who their father is. But that blood is what became important as soon as the name took precedence. Unless you're from a shy. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Then, then it's a different story. Uh, but uh, Uzma, what, what's your thought on that? Blood or names? I mostly maybe 75% agree with it because uh, the best, best example of this is Joffrey Baratheon. He doesn't have Baratheon or the Targaryen blood, but he has the Baratheon name. And even now, people call him Joffrey Baratheon, not Joffrey Lannister. So uh, yes, in some way, uh, name is more important than blood. But uh, for the rest of 25%, I slightly disagree with it too. <laughs> because uh, uh, the best example for that is Robert Baratheon himself. The only reason he was, uh, not the only reason, partially, the reason he was selected as king uh, after the rebellion was because he had Targaryen blood in him. Uh, his grandmother was uh, Targaryen. And uh, another example of this is Jon Snow. He doesn't have the Targaryen name, but he has Targaryen blood. And we all saw in the last season of Game of Thrones what happened just because he had the Targaryen blood, even though he didn't have Targaryen name. It's true. He could he could control the dragons because he was part Targaryen. Yeah. What do you think, Sam? Uh, so I I actually disagree with this. I I think that I think blood. I think people remember blood because I I mean like. When you think about the really historical families, you do remember the names of the families, but what comes from those is a bloodline. So you don't get the name without the bloodline. So like when people talk about like, you know, you hear like, oh, you've got that Targaryen blood in you or like, 
you know, they say when a Targaryen is go- is born, the gods flip a coin, you know, that's talking about the blood or like, you know, even they, when they talk about Starks, you know, being like brooding or whatever, like they're always talking about like the bloodline of the Starks. So, so obviously like history has its heroes and its names, but I think that the families and everything, I feel like it's the bloodline that people like really like remember i think in my i think opinion. you can use john snow in this example as well the only reason the north supported him was because he had the stark blood in him even though he didn't have the targaryen uh, sorry stark name <laughs> even the saying yeah there must always be a stark in winterfell you know that's another bloodline thing so yeah i was going to add um another interpretation of that phrase is um they say history doesn't remember blood they remember names they definitely remember the names associated with blood everyone knows about the wars <laughs> and how much bloodshed comes down but they they do tend to always remember the winners you know there was a lot of blood in Aegon's conquest now granted most of it had a nice Maiar reaction and it probably paired really good um with sauteed onions <laughs> and a couple of other aromatics but <laughs> <laughs> there was still a lot of blood. Um, but most people just remember that it was Aegon, um, his two sisters, and the Dagrons that took the country. You know, they always remember Targaryen, even if they forget how many people die in war and how many people die after the war, when the resources are spent and the winter shows up. You know, so that's just another point my thing about the names because yeah (laughs) for sure uh we see the painted table and it looks different from the one we saw in game of thrones uh which table do y'all like more the one in game of thrones or the one in house of the dragon oh house of the dragons it's it's like usma said it definitely house of the dragon it looks like (laughs) it's lit with fire And, and again it goes back to what solar was saying with the fire it looks like the table itself is on fire which is absolutely beautiful. And not just the painted table, and the Iron Throne as well. Both look so majestic, so beautiful. And like Game of Thrones versions of uh, both the painted table and the Iron Throne just pale in comparison. Yeah, honestly, I'm a tabletop wargamer, so you add LEDs <laughs> to anything and I'm in. Okay? I mean, seriously, just... I'm like, oh my god, it glows. Where are my action figures? You know, so I, I gotta table, say, House of yeah. the Dragon. <laughs> this yeah, table kind of yeah. House of Dragon. Oh, it does. Yeah. It very much glows, and um, yeah, just it, it really made me want to play a game of 40k <laughs> on it. I mean, just, yeah. just totally already there. I got, I got my lava. I got my glowy stuff. I'm yeah, all the way, all the way in. Not to say the painted table from the first, um, from the first show sucked. That too was amazing but we went from amazing to amazing plus led so i'm i'm already in you know like (laughs) even as a kid i think we all like glow in the dark better but how do you think (laughs) they will uh describe it like uh uh, is there actually lava flowing through it in in the storyline i think it might be gold inlay um it could go either way for me because like again if it's lava flowing through it that that's another step toward, by the way, we are Targaryens and you don't mess with us. Like, even our planning table is made of something you can't touch, but we can. So, you know, I could see it either way. Um, but that kind of leans on the idea that this show will have more overt magic than the last show did. 
So, we'll see. It's possible because, you know, dragons bring magic, and there are more dragons in this show than there are in the last one. So That's, that's a great topic for It could be higher fantasy. Dragons yeah. plus magic. That's, that's yeah. a great topic there. But Dragons plus magic equals get a D20. No. <laughs> God, I'm a nerd. <laughs> and our final question for this segment today, how far back do we think things go? We've seen a shot of Harrenhal, which sets up, which sets up the succession issues, but it, do you think we'll see anything before Viserys took the throne? Um, or do we think that's where it started? How far back do you all think that we're going? Well, Alicent Hightower was the nursemaid to the old king when she was young. And that's kind of where she gained her political acumen is, is by being in close contact. Because again, her father was the, the hand. Um, so I think we'll see a little of that. We do see her as a younger, a younger person. So maybe they'll touch on that, how she was already kind of connecting herself through her father's you know her father obviously wants to play the game he even mentions that in the trailers that they're playing the game and he's using her as a pawn even at an early age so i think we'll we'll go back as far as the old king i I think we'll see him uh at, at towards his latter years before this the great council to kind of establish you know her political acumen uh solar what do you think about that when when do you think how far back do you think we're gonna hit i'm in agreement only because um one, we don't know how long this show is going to run, but there is way too much prehistory in the Land of Ice and Fire to go back too far. We don't need to see the Age of Heroes. Um, for the purposes of what looks like this story is, we don't need to see the Conquest. <laughs> um, so a little bit of backstory on the current king, how he got there, maybe what it was like before or before he brought peace. Um, and that's about as far back, like no, no more than, um, no more than the old King, but anything before that, I don't see us having any more than like an exposition based flashback. Oh, Uzma, you're the book maniac. So <laughs> actually, uh, George R. R. Martin recently said in an interview that, uh, the show will begin, uh, house of the dragon will begin, uh, with the great council of 101 AC. So, uh, I think it uh, kind of makes sense that they will establish th- uh, they will establish the succession succession rules at the very beginning of the episode. So even if we do get to see uh, Alison taking care of the old king, uh, it will be in the first episode. And uh, another thing I think uh, that in Game of Thrones, what we saw uh, most of the time was that they switched out uh, less important characters with more important ones, kind of like they switched. Jane Poole with Sansa Stark. So I think they are going to do this in the Great Council of 101 AC. I think they are going to switch it to uh, King Viserys versus Rhaenys Targaryen. Uh, because uh, that would make uh, more sense in terms of show. Uh, that it's uh, And it will show uh, that uh, directly that Rhaenys, what was Rhaenys was talking about when she said men would sooner put the realm to the torch. Uh, because uh, most of the votes... We know where the most of the votes will go to. <laughs> what do you think, Sam? Uh, I'm kind of excited that the council is going to be probably the first scene that we have. I feel like that's going to be like a really great way to like kind of draw everyone into it. Of just like, because I'm already excited to see the like that like that massive hall of Harrenhal. Like I feel like in Game of Thrones we never really got the best look of Harrenhal. So like seeing it in all its grand 
massive <laughs> unnecessariness, whatever you want to say. I, I like I'm excited to like see that. So I feel like that'll be like a cool way to like bring the show in. Um, I do kind of think that we like we're talking about flashbacks. Like I do kind of think that I wouldn't be surprised if we got a couple from like from um, from the old king and like I, I feel like that would be kind of fun to see just like a couple little snippets of flashbacks and with them messing around the timeline. I don't see why we wouldn't why they wouldn't do it. So yeah, yeah. But in all fairness, we'll we'll never get to see the grandness and awesomeness of Heron Hall because it had it for a week <laughs> and then the dragons and then got came it, the dragon. you know. well that was our fire and blood segment and now it is time for our final segment we have fans of the dragon where uzma and constance will give us trivia polls about the episodes and questions and comments from you the listeners um all you uzma and constance so we'll begin with the trivia constance sure uh during our section about the Raven's Eye, there was a th- overall arching theme to the trailer that, as uh, several of us put it, we cannot unsee. What is that theme? <laughs> That's our trivia question for this week. Uh, so, you know, it's hopefully you've been paying attention and watching the segment because that will tell you exactly where we are. But uh, do we have any new polls? Okay. So the question I uh, asked in the poll was... Men would sooner put the realm to the torch than see a woman ascend the Iron Throne. And what do you think about Princess Rhaenys' statement? And 74% of the fans voted that they agree with this statement. And as Solar said earlier, it's actually factual uh, because uh, it is established in this world that most people put men before uh, women in terms of inheriting the Iron Throne. And now, uh, it's time for the segment. Who's that dragon? Who's that dragon? (laughs) Alright. One of these days. (laughs) Uh, Let's kick this off with our Dragimon of the week. With golden eyes and silver scales, that is how they described this dragon, companion to the first queen, Rhaenys. With her dragon's scorching flame, she helped her husband brother, Aegon, conquer the Seven Kingdoms. But only six, for the queen's mission to conquer Dorne was to be uh, seven out of the entire continent, because her mission to conquer Dorne was to be both their doom ten years later. A ballista bolt through the eye brought the silver beast down at Hellholt in Dorne, with her queen upon her back. Rainey's exact manner of death remains a mystery. Was she crushed by the massive corpse when the dragon stuck the ground? Fallen from a great height, her body twisted and broken? Or was she recovered alive by the Dornish, where she languished away in a prison for the rest of her years? No one will ever truly know Queen Rainey's fate, but thus perished her mount, the beautiful and powerful dragon, Meraxes. And that's our Dragimon for this week, and that's it for Uzma and I with Fans of the Dragon. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for joining us for this week's episode. We are your hosts, Valar Mogulis. Valar Mogulis. 